Welcome to the Books of Titans podcast, where I seek truth in the world's best books. I'm your host, Eric Rostad, coming to you from the beautiful Books of Titans studio in Franklin, Tennessee. My goal is to read 52 books per year and share what I'm learning. I'll talk a bit about each book, tie ideas together from a variety of genres, and share the one thing I always hope to remember from each book. Today I'm going to cover Captain Sir Richard Francis Burton by Edward Rice. The secret agent who made the pilgrimage to Mecca discovered the Kama Sutra and brought the Arabian Nights to the West. This is book 17 for my 2022 reading list. Well, first off, this is not about Richard Burton, the actor who married Elizabeth Taylor. This is about Sir Richard Francis Burton, the British adventurer born in 1821 and, and who died in 1890. In my previous podcast episode, I covered Thomas Merton and his book, The Seven Story Mountain. And while I was reading this book about Sir Richard Burton, I kept thinking about these two men, uh, you know, I, I read the books back to back. And so Merton was still fresh on my, on my mind. And, and so I'm thinking of, of Burton here. And I, I thought it'd be really interesting to compare these two men, uh, Merton and Burton. Uh, and though vastly different, they were two men with a deep passion to search for truth and knowledge. And their lives took them in vastly different directions, but I thought it'd be fun to to, to compare them. And, and I might do that at some point in the future. But what was really cool is in preparing for this episode, I looked deeper into the author of this book, Edward Rice. And incredibly, he was a friend, a very close friend to Thomas Merton. So uh, he also wrote a book about Thomas Merton, but then he wrote this biography, which I'm covering today about Richard Burton. Uh, and, and in fact, when I then went back and looked at the Seven Story Mountain by Thomas Merton, I saw Ed Rice's name throughout that book. So uh, Merton, Merton and him were, were good friends. And so just kind of a, a fun connection point in, in this year's reading list. And just as, as I was reading this book and kind of thinking about Merton as well, uh, to, to then realize that the author of, of this book on Burton had been a good friend of, of, of Merton's, just very cool connection. And, and I'm sorry, I digress. Uh, but let's get back to Sir Richard Burton here. And so I, I must start this episode off with just a brief overview of his life, because it has to have been one of the most astonishing and fascinating lives that has ever been lived. Uh, he he had this passion for knowledge and truth, and he had this lifelong search for what he called gnosis, uh, in in which he defined as arcane knowledge or uh, learning or knowledge that would come from odd byways. So you you know not just the the knowledge you would gain going to to school, but uh, he he was interested in finding this secret knowledge and and finding this treasure trove that very few people had ever come across, and that and that was one reason he just had this adventurous spirit. He was born in England in 1821. He studied at Oxford, but was was uh, kicked out. Uh, he then enlisted in the army of the East India Company and was on his way to Afghanistan to fight in the war there. But uh, the, by the time he got there, the war was finished. So he ended up in India. While in India, he became a Brahmin, which is a Hindu priest. And it's, it's not something you're supposed to become as a, a foreigner. Uh, but I, I think it just showed his level of, of expertise in languages 
in spirituality and and just being able to fit in to new cultures and and new places. He he didn't have a. a like a, a super obvious British look to him. Uh, he had this look, it, many people co- said he, he almost looked like a gypsy where he could just, he could fit in anywhere. He could, he could put on different, um, different, uh, masks, different, different, uh, outfits and, and kind of become whoever he wanted to be. And, and he just had this look about him that would allow him to, to fit in like that. Uh, so after being a, a Brahmin, uh, he, he uh, Edward Rice, the author of this book, call, calls him a religious nomad. Uh, from 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 there, from Hinduism, he he tried other religions. He he went to, over to Roman Catholicism, uh, Sikhism for a while, and then on to Islam and to Sufism with, within Islam, and and he became a dervish there, which is which is a holy wanderer, and was one of the first Westerners ever to convert to. Islam, uh, in well, it, it, at least in the, in this time period, he's he's famous for having made the pilgrimage to Mecca, which is the holiest site in Islam. And let me just put this into a little bit of context, though, because of the the time that he did this, uh, it it wasn't you just you know hop in some some nice vehicle to take to take you there. He he had to go across the desert, but he was part of a caravan and had. Had it been discovered that he was British, he would have been executed immediately and not in a kind way, like slowly and painfully. And, and that, so that's one part of it is, is this is not something he's supposed to be doing. Even, even though he's a, he's a practicing Muslim at the time, it's just, he's not allowed to do this. So he's having to do this under cover. And not only that, I have to read the customs that he had to be aware of um just to 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 get by and so here here are a few the first is this is is in the area of urinating and so i'm gonna i'm gonna read uh this page 107 there was the practice of urinating that Burton had to follow even more automatically. Muslims, like most Easterners, urinate squatting, and when finished, the man wipes with a stone or clod of earth or clay one, three, or five pieces, whatever local custom demands. There is a frequently repeated story that during his trip to Mecca, Burton was observed absent-mindedly following the call of nature in a non-Muslim manner of, by urinating standing, the Western position, and had to kill his discoverer in order to save his own life, a legend he tried to deny, pointing out the difficulty of urinating in cumbersome Arab robes while erect. Still, Burton obviously enjoyed the notoriety of having killed a man in cold blood, Next, next paragraph. So that's, that's urination, just having to be aware constantly of urinating in a very specific manner that is, is different depending on the local area that he is, he, he is in. So he's, he's always, he always has to be aware of this. He, he can't let his guard down. Then we get to defecation also meant uh, a, a religious and cultural act for practices differ from those of the West. A Muslim should enter the lavatory on his left, not right foot, and he cleanses himself with water or sand or earth or if, if there is no water with his left hand. Um, and then they, they just go on in, in more details there. And so it, even even uh, in, in defecating, he's, he has to constantly be aware of these these customs. 
Then there's the matter of prayer, both public and private. Ordinarily, the good Muslim prays five times a day. Uh, he goes through, and, and then Edward Rice, the the author, kind of goes through, uh, so I'm skipping a, a bit here, and then the proper observance of these rituals is demanding. One does not make mistakes or shirk the full observance. And if Burton erred in a word or gesture, it would have brought suspicion upon him as a true believer. Acting outwardly as a Muslim, however, was not sufficient. Each step, each act, gesture, and thought had to come out of the depth of his heart and be totally and naturally Muslim, end quote. So that's, enough, uh, that's where I'll, I'll stop reading this section. But just in in the the area of using the restroom, one, and then two, uh, of prayer, he he had to constantly be aware of doing doing it the right way. And to some extent, you you can't fake this. And in, in segment two, I'm gonna I'm gonna get into that question of, of was this real or did he just want to go to to Mecca to to observe. Um, but to some of this stuff, like it, it had to become unconscious because you would just go crazy constantly thinking about all the things that you had to do right. And in the order that you had to do them in and, and all that. So it's, it's just, it's, it's astonishing that he made the pilgrimage to Mecca. And it's not just a simple fact of he went from one place to another, uh, ended up in Mecca and then went back. Like this was a, a huge, event. And this was something that very few Westerners had, had ever done. He was one of the first to, to do this, to make this pilgrimage. And he was at constant risk of being executed if he did something slightly incorrect. So that, that is, that is amazing, uh, that, that he did this, but that's not, that's not where any, everything ends here from, from there, he goes to East Africa to search for the source of the Nile river. And as, as part of that adventure, he went to places and, and locales that no white man had ever been to before. Also, while he was in Africa, he was attacked uh, in, in Somalia and had a javelin thrust through both of his cheeks. Like, so it entered one side and came out the other side. And I, I just have to read this section as well because this is just unbelievable. Uh, so they're, so they're getting attacked. And, uh, so here's, um, from the, from the book, he cried out in alarm. The well-known voice caused an instant hesitation. At that moment, a spearman stepped forward, left his javelin in my mouth and retired before he could be punished. And then, uh, this is back to Edward, uh, Rice writing Burton escaped as, as by a miracle. The Ross appeared and led him to a spot where he thought the other officers had gathered and disappeared. Though over overpowered with faintness and pain, Burton spent the interval before dawn wandering in search of his comrades. As day broke, he found himself at the head of the creek where he picked up the crew of the native vessel he had, had entertained the night before and carried aboard. He still had the javelin in his jaw and it was now removed. And quote, let me read just one other part here about this. Um... Severely disabled by wounds that might have put another man in the grave, Burton returned to London for treatment. Not only had four teeth been knocked out by the Somali spear thrust into his upper jaw and part of the palate damaged, but both cheeks had been pierced. Burton could barely speak. Uh, end quote. He, <laughs> I don't know if you caught that, but he walked around for a while with that javelin just in, sticking out of his face, like in one side, out the other. 
and and it was only removed later and he was just walking around like that trying to to find the other members of his crew that had been attacked and he obviously had that scar with him for the rest of his his life um in the photos you see you can you can see that far that that scar quite uh, prominent on his face but uh that was a a major uh event in his life obviously uh after his uh, many adventures in Africa, he traveled to America and was in the South, in the South of the, of the United States in 1860, the year before the Civil War broke out. Uh, later on, he traveled to South America and, and traveled to quite, quite a few of the countries there. And so, yes, Richard, Sir Richard Burton was an adventurer. He was a lover of languages. He loved stories. He loved books. But his trips had other purposes as well. And that's because he was a spy. And author, author Edward Rice said he tried on disguises endlessly. So he, he was a spy, but his disguises and, and, and part of this knowledge, part of these part of the reason for these trips was to gain intelligence for the British government and for the East India Company. And so there, there's, uh, there's just kind of all these different layers that you, you start to learn about, about this man. Um, while he was on that pilgrimage to Mecca, he would, he would secretly write his observations on little pieces of paper. And, and Edward Rice, the, the author, he says it, they were almost like puzzle pieces, and, and only he would be able to later reassemble these puzzle pieces. But again, if he, if he was caught making notes, that you just people weren't taking notes in, in that culture at the time. And so that, that would have made him stick out. So he had to hide these notes. He had to just kind of get away from the crowd and, and make little notes. And then he did it in such a way that he, he would be the one that would, would have to put all these notes back together. Uh, if he had been caught at any point writing these notes, he likely would have been killed. He spoke 29 languages, 29 languages, and he would just he as he was traveling he he would he would pick them up. He he said he learned a lot of them uh, by the pillow. Uh, the the phrase just uh, he would be sleeping with different women, and that's how he learned a lot of his languages. He wrote forty books. He introduced the Kama Sutra and the 1001 Arabian Nights to the Western world. In fact, Burton was the first person to translate the Arabian Nights into English. And that's, you know, where we get the story of, of Aladdin, uh, um, amongst many, many others. Uh, Bert, uh, the version of, of the Arabian Nights that I have uh, was translated by, by Sir Richard Burton. He married Isabel Arundel in 1861. And uh, from what the author says here, he was faithful to her, which was a vast departure from his days of not being married. In 1886, he was knighted and became Sir Richard Francis Burton. Uh, one thing he regretted not having studied at Oxford was music. And that is because he said he came across well over 2,000 songs from all of these different cultures and people groups that he met and he had no way of, of writing them down because he, he didn't know how to write out 
the music. And so he regretted that because a lot of these songs were, were probably lost for forever to history because no one else wrote them down either. And, and had he known uh, music, we, we, we would probably be much richer uh, being able to hear a, a lot of these songs uh, had they been been written down. So just one, one of those interesting things. Yes, he, he spoke 29 languages, but he, he regretted not um, speaking the language of music. He called himself a wanderer in, in kind of in the likes of Odysseus. Um, and, and it's just kind of interesting that uh, that that term uh, came up a lot in, in the book and in, in his life. In a tragic sense, there were two fires that really damaged a lot of what Richard Burton had written in his life. And the first was in a warehouse that he, he uh, kept a lot of his, his writings in. And so I, I just want to read this really quickly. Um, there was marred by a great tragedy, the loss of his priceless collection of manuscripts put together over the years in India, Sindh, and the Punjab, the Arab countries, and East Africa. They had been stored in Grindley's warehouse in London. A fire destroyed everything. Along with numerous mementos and artifacts, oriental clothing, and dozens of other treasures, one special loss was a Turkish edition of the Arabian Nights, which, which he had treasured for the day when he could begin his translation of the great Middle Eastern work. When the Grindley clerk learned that no jewel or rare metals were lost, he remarked that the loss was apparently minor. Burton appeared calm on the surface, but from time to time a great sigh would come forth. What a tragedy. Uh, that was the, the first fire. The second fire was the result of, of his, his wife, Isabel Arundel, when, when Sir Richard Burton passed away. Uh, Isabel burned a lot of his works, um, a lot of his notes, his, a lot of his personal notes. Uh, she was a staunch Roman Catholic. He practiced Islam his whole life. And uh, his life before Isabel was not like his life with Isabel. And apparently she did not want that side of him to come out. And so uh, she had a huge bonfire and burned a lot of his, a lot of his notes and even some, some uh, works that he had translated. So that's a, uh, I mean, a, about a brief, as brief as you can give for, for of an overview of his life for, for all that he did. Uh, for, as for the book, it was 483 pages. It took me 16 hours and three minutes to read it. That was over 12 days. I averaged 40 pages per day and read it between May 10 and May 21st. So that was the first segment of this episode. I wanted to cover his life. It's so fascinating. It's, it's just incredible. Uh, in the next, there'll be two more, two more segments in the next segment. I'm going to cover a few things, uh, some quotes that were about him. Uh, I want to ask the question of, was he a true believer or was he a, an expert spy? And, and then just get into a few more details about his life. And then in the final segment, I will close it out as I do all my episodes with the one thing, my one key takeaway, the one thing I'm still thinking about after reading Captain Sir Richard Francis Burton. While I was reading this biography, I kept thinking, uh, you know, there's no way that this would could ever be a character in a work of fiction. I, I mean, there, there, if if Sir Richard Burton showed up in a in a work of fiction, it would just be unbelievable. Like, there's no way one person would. 
be able to do this and travel there and 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 then go there and, and learn 29 languages along the way and re- write 40 books and wind up in the the United States before the Civil War and then do and then get knighted. Uh, come on, that that's too unbelievable. You you can't have that in a work of, of fiction, um, and yet here he is. You know, it, it's. Truth is stranger than fiction a, a lot of the times, and, and sometimes you have to go to works of nonfiction to 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 really see the the expanse of of how how fascinating or incredible a, a life can can truly be. Uh, so I w- want to start off this segment with some quotes that are are either about Burton or, or ones that um, uh, yeah, j- just three different quotes here that that are about Burton that that show up in this book. The first is this, the mind staggers at the sheer immensity of his curiosity and knowledge. The mind staggers at the sheer immensity of his curiosity and knowledge. The second one is this, Richard Burton had an impolitic habit of telling political truths. And that kept him at the rank of captain. He never became major. He never got higher. Um, People much less skilled were were would rank much higher than him and get promotions and, and he he just never got them uh because he would he would tell things as they were um and that uh that did not endear him to the authorities uh the last quote is this it was the abnormalities and not the divinities of men that fascinated him i i thought that was such a good quote about him in, in a good recap of of his life. Uh, he was always searching for that gnosis, that 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 deeper truth. Uh, but but just even in in people and people groups and language, like he was interested in the the things that were kind of off to the side and, and not the not the things everyone else was, was going for. And and that just made him all the more fascinating to read about. One thing I kept questioning over and over as I was reading about him uh, was just, was he a true believer or an expert player of the great game? And let me describe what I mean by the great game. The great game comes up over and over in this book. And here is how Edward Rice defines it. First, the great game came from a phase by Kipling, popular popularized in Kim, uh, a book by Kipling. Uh, And so here's what Rice says about the great game. The great game absorbed much of England's energies in the 19th century. The competition between European powers for control of Asia and the Levant, the reasons were primarily economic, narrowed down to a struggle between Britain and Russia, mostly undercover, sometimes military, for the domination of large areas of the world east of Suez. End quote. So the great game is kind of the Western powers and and Britain in particular versus Russia. And a lot of this was done kind of through proxy wars. And Burton played a part in this. Um, He was a spy. And so part of why he was traveling all the time and, and going to these different places was to gather intelligence. And he would have disguises and, you know, he it was... It was not clear to others that he was a, a uh, from Britain. Uh, it was not clear that he was uh, obviously that he was a spy. He, he was just kind of a master at at these disguises, and um, and then in speaking all these languages, he he could he could understand a lot of what was being said around him, and so 
the uh, well first it's just really interesting to see the, these proxy wars in the the mid 1800s between Europe and Russia and you know to to un untie that thread of what's going on right now in Ukraine i mean you 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 see you see it happening here in the mid 1800s uh i heard someone recently say you could probably pull that thread all the way back to Cain and Abel uh so that that's interesting as, as a side note but then also just that question of of uh, uh Burton being so integrated into this great game and, and being a part of this and, and traveling for, for the purpose of his adventure, but also as a spy, how much of what he was doing was for the great game, for for the the knowledge to help the British government or to help the East India Company? How much of it was that and how much of it was him being a true believer? And a, a true believer in the sense of... of he went deep into these religions, and, and especially with, with Islam. Uh, he, he memorized a quarter of the Quran by heart. And those things I described in, in segment one, where if he had been, if he had done one thing slightly wrong, it, he would have been exposed. Like you have to, it has to become unconscious at that point. And to, for it to become unconscious, you're not, you're not consciously thinking about it. You, you have to reach a level that it's not, you, you can't fake that uh, it, at some point you're going to get caught. You, you can't fake it that much. So was he, was he a true believer or was he doing this as a spy or is it just kind of a mixture of both? Um, Edward Rice, the author has, has just a, a, a really intriguing quote where he says, uh, Burton was a Muslim to the bone, but also an agent of John company. I just thought that was a really funny way of putting it. John Company is another name for the East India Company. Um, I guess another insight is that when he when he did go on the pilgrimage, he traveled with a Quran, but he hollowed out the Quran and had three different compartments. One carried his watch and compass, another carried his money, and then a third car- the third compartment. Uh, carried a pen knife, pencils, and paper in, in which he would write, and he, he had to hide that. Um, so on one hand, he memorized a quarter of the Quran, but on the other hand, the Quran he's carrying around is is hollowed out so he can carry other things. Uh, f- from Burton himself, we, we get this quote when he was in Mecca. He said, uh, what later he wrote this, he, he didn't quote it to people around him. He would have been killed. But he said, theirs was the high feeling of religious enthusiasm. Mine was the ecstasy of gratified pride. That was his statement uh, about having gone on that pilgrimage. But then upon death uh, and, and his autopsy, it showed a number of cuts all over his, his body. And one biography th- biographer thought, you know, this was from all the, the fights that he was in, in this adventurous life. But uh, what, what Edward Rice says is most likely happened here is these, these would have been done during um, Muslim dances of ecstasy. They, they would just get into these, these, these dances and, and they, would, they would cut each other. And, um, and, and so Burton, at the end of his life, had cuts all over his, his body that, that probably would have come from that. And again, it just, I, I don't think you are doing these dances without having a true belief. And so, yeah, just going through this book and kind of going back and forth the whole time of, 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 of wondering that, you know, what was, 
was this true belief or was this um was this just part of being a spy. So it's kind of a, a fun question to ask when you're when you're going through the book. Last thing I want to highlight in this segment is is uh, Burton's working style. And um, this was later in life, uh, but he had a huge room that he used as his office. And what he did is he got 11 different desks and then had a different desk for each project. And so he was, he was writing books at this time. He was uh, translating different things. And so... I just love that, that uh, instead of just having one desk and, and trying to to organize everything, he had 11 different desks, one for each project. And, and there's a photo in this book that, that shows him at work at one of the desks uh, amidst the others. Um, just fascinating man uh, and just a, a lot of things to, to question and, and think about as you're, as you're reading about his life. Now into segment three and the one thing, my one key takeaway, the thing that I'm still thinking about after reading this book, and it is this. He he truly was the most interesting man alive. I mean, you've, you've seen those ads where the, the guy, he's the most interesting man alive. And, and uh, Burton, I mean, he this he is the quintessential most interesting man alive. And yet, when he would travel around, he would not... I'm sure he told stories about his life, but time after time in in this book, we see him sharing stories from the Arabian Nights. And I I just think that's so amazing Uh, for a man who could have just gone end to end telling stories about his own life. He loved the Arabian Nights. He loved the stories of the Arabian Nights. And his audience, the people he was telling, loved the stories of the Arabian Nights so much that he was telling those instead of the stories of his own adventures. And there's just something startling about that because, I mean, this book is amazing in in what happened in his life, what he did, what he learned, what he saw. And I mean, it's just incredible. And yet... Those were not the tales he was recounting to audiences, but those of the Arabian Nights. And and I look, I I'm, I'm sure there it was a mixture of of two, but just time after time in this book, we see him telling the stories from the the Arabian Nights. And there's something just kind of romantic about that. Uh, the 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 man who who brought the Arabian Nights to the West, just kind of going around different countries, different people groups, and in their own language, telling these stories of the Arabian Nights. Uh, it's just an uh, image I can't get out of my head after having read this book. So Burton was a man of great intelligence. Um, I just uh, some luck mixed in there, uh, but just a, a deep knowledge of people. Uh, I mean, just to have survived all that he went through is is amazing in in and of itself. Not to have also accomplished all the other things that he did. Uh, in many circumstances, he was in one wrong move, and he would have been uh, immediately killed. 29 languages. <laughs> I, I can't get over that. Uh, 29 languages. So did he find what he was looking for? That, that Gnosis, that, uh, that secret knowledge? It's a question you have to ask and, and answer for yourself as you, as you read about his life. He's just one of those guys that it would have been unbelievable in a work of fiction, but here he is. Here, here is Richard 
Burton, Sir Richard Burton. That's going to do it for this episode. Thank you for listening. I would love to hear from you, uh, especially if you've read something about Burton or know about Burton or love Burton. Um, tell me what I missed. I mean, I've just read one book about him. There are, there are plenty of books out there about him and uh, many that he has, has written and, and then also translated. Uh, as part of the Great Books project that I will start reading through the Great Books, 200 of those uh, beginning next year, 2023, uh, Arabian Nights is on that list, and I can't wait to, to go through that. You can email me at eric at booksoftitans.com if, if you would like to comment um, or share things about Burton. You can follow Books of Titans on Instagram or Twitter, and my website is stocked full of resources to help you find the best books and to create your own reading list. That is booksoftitans.com. I'll be back in a few weeks, discuss another book or uh, for, yeah, from my 2022 reading list. Until then, keep reading, keep learning, and keep listening. I'm out.